28, and that can be found on page 837 of the Pew Bible. This is the final instructions and a benediction. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Jesus Christ for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This morning, we're going to look at the topic of praying on purpose. And to do that, no better place to start than in the Gospels with Jesus' instructions on prayer. We're going to hear this passage from Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 1. Jesus told the disciples, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, by your Father, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit. 
as we lift our hearts in prayer to you, as we receive these words and ponder them, may you speak to us today. Nudge us, lead us, guide us in the ways that will draw us closest to you in this hour and in this coming week. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So I was thinking back to the start of vacation last summer. Uh, we were up in the Finger Lakes and had a, a lakefront cottage, and there were some kayaks that came along with the house. And on the very first morning, we all wanted to go for a kayak ride. We counted up the number of kayakers and the number of kayaks, and we were one short. But I had a brilliant idea. See, the single-person kayak was rated for 275 pounds. So I figured 205 pounds of dad bod and one third grader that weighed about 60 pounds should be fine, right? So we started out in the water with me in the kayak and Clark on the back. He didn't sit very still back there. There was a lot of moving and some rocking back and forth. And pretty soon, we took on a little bit of water. We were overwhelmed, right? And the water peeked in one side of the kayak, and, and then we rode a little bit lower. And then we rocked the other way, and some water came in that side, and we rode a little bit lower again. And then finally, we rocked enough that we just totally filled with water. The kayak went down, and we were dragging it back to shore, swimming in our life vests. Do you know that feeling of being overwhelmed? It starts with just a little bit at first, right? Just, just a few drops over the side of the boat, and pretty soon, you're going down. You know that feeling of being overwhelmed by life's challenges? Where it's just a little insecurity, or one obstacle, or, or one illness. When something comes at us that we weren't quite expecting. Or maybe it isn't even one big thing, but a bunch of little things. Multiple overwhelmings happening at the same time. That's when we're at our most vulnerable. Now, one of my guilty pleasures is the TV show Deadliest Catch, uh, where they go out crab fishing on the Bering Sea. And basically, every episode's exactly the same. I've seen hundreds of them now. They go out and uh, they fight the waves, they bring the crabs back, and, and all is well. Uh, they're a bunch of salty old fishermen, so it was tough to find a clip for church here, but I did find one that we can show for about 45 seconds. But I've noticed there's, there's only one time that these guys get scared when they talk about a rogue wave. So hopefully we have sound now. We're going to give it a try. Let's see if we, uh, we don't have sound. <laughs> let's see if we can watch a clip. If we don't have sound, we'll, we'll move on. But let's see what we've got. Looks scary, right? Crash, boom. Nope, that's okay. 
So imagine that it sounds really scary. You probably can still see the visual here when these waves come in. And the captain starts shouting, get down, get down, and boom, right about here. Oh, there we go. That salty old fisherman said, when you hear the captain screaming, it's time to start holding on to something. The only thing that scares these salty old guys is a rogue wave like that one. On a beautiful day, a wave coming in from the wrong direction from the side of the boat scares them. It's, it's not the rough seas that are out in front of the boat that they worry about. Those they can deal with. It's the one that comes at the wrong time in an unexpected way. Well, isn't it like that in life, too? And yet the story we imagined with the kids is of Jesus and his disciples fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Out in the middle of a storm, and Jesus is asleep on the boat. The disciples are terrified, scared for their very lives. And there's Jesus, not a care, not a worry. The Bible says the waves were bashing the side of their fishing boat until they were almost overwhelmed. And yet Jesus is calm and unworried. And so we get to this later passage in Matthew, when the disciples ask Jesus, teach us how to pray, Lord. Actually, I think that question's pretty remarkable. Because remember, these are all a bunch of Jewish guys. They've been to synagogue regularly their whole lives. The disciples already say their prayers. They already know the books of the Psalms. They already know the Shema. And yet they say to Jesus, teach us how to pray. And I wonder what was different about the quality of Jesus' prayers. He's indisputably a person of deep prayer. Over and over, if you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus takes time apart from the disciples and from the demands of ministry to go off and to pray in a quiet place. In fact, it records 25 times in the four Gospels that Jesus stops to pray. And instead of being overwhelmed by life, in struggle and in pain, Jesus was overwhelmed in a different way, by God's grace. This intense experience of God's love, a new perspective that is gifted to us when we realize God's forgiveness, the wonder and awe that we feel when we imagine God as the creator of the universe. When I see Jesus and the example that he sets for the disciples, that's the kind of shape I want my prayer life to have. So what do we have to do to pray on purpose? Jesus tells the disciples, when you pray, pray like this. 
he gives them the Lord's Prayer. But what would it mean to do more than just say our prayers? I think at some level, we all know that prayer needs to be more than just talking. I mean, think about your friendships. Do you have a friend that does all the talking when you get together? Or are you the friend that does all the talking when you get together? I bet in your best relationships, it's a conversation. It's a give and take, right? A friend who does all the talking all the time isn't much of a friend. But prayer is also about listening. I had a picture up here for a little bit, you can see. This is the very large array out in the desert uh, southwest. I forget which state exactly. But it's a whole series of radio telescopes, these giant satellite dishes pointed out into the deep reaches of space, designed to let us listen in a new way. Or our next slide, I've lost the clicker, here we go. This is the Large Hadron Collider over in Switzerland. They spin particles through it and smash them together to allow us to see things at a microscopic level that we couldn't otherwise see. Billions of dollars spent between the Very Large Array and the Large Hadron Collider in order for us to hear something we couldn't hear and to see something we couldn't otherwise see. Well, the greats in the Christian faith talk about prayer as a tool for hearing and seeing properly. To pray is to hear with an inner ear. And to pray is to see with an inner set of eyes. To pray on purpose gives us a different way to perceive the world. So how do we do this? How do we pray in this way? Well, it's going to take some practice, right? As one author quipped, I've listened to hundreds of symphony pieces but I still can't play the cello. In order to pray, we have to participate. We have to practice it. So how much time is this going to take up uh, for you this week if you start to practice prayer in your life? Let me give you a few answers from the greats, right? Martin Luther said that he got up to pray for three hours each morning. And he said in his journal, if I don't pray that much, I don't have time to get anything else done. Interesting, right? Or in our own Methodist tradition, John Wesley prayed for two hours a day. And we know that because John was a little bit OCD. And in his journals, he broke down every 24-hour period into 15-minute increments and jotted down what he was doing for every 15 minutes of every day. So we know he prayed for two hours. Well, if that sounds too hard, three hours in the morning or two hours each day, St. Paul simply said, pray without ceasing. No problem, right? Probably instead of inspiring examples, when you hear about the greats in spirituality, I know I feel sometimes intimidated 
or ashamed. I don't know how I could possibly pray that much. It's a struggle sometimes just to get up and get the kids out of the house, right? But Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Notice he didn't say to the disciples, if you pray, but when you pray. There's definitely an expectation there that as his followers, we will be a praying people. I find the same thing with my dentist, right? I go every six months, and he says, when you brush, brush like this. And in fact, the dentist always asks me every six months, how often did you brush? And sometime I'm going to say to him, well, I didn't feel any cavities starting this month, so I haven't brushed yet, but if I feel one coming on, I'll take care of it. But prayer needs to be a a regular practice, doesn't it? Whether we want to or not, I get up and brush my teeth in the morning and again before I go to bed at night. Prayer needs to be a part of our lives in that same kind of way. Worked into our routine. See, prayer is a, a personal experience of our personal God. You can't have an abstract picture of God, just a a concept of who God might be, and then speak to Him. You can only speak to God if you have a relationship with God. It's sort of like celebrities, right? I, I can know them from afar, I can watch them on my screens, but if I want to have a conversation with a celebrity, I can only really do that if I were to know them as one person knows another. Then we could talk. So what would it look like for you to pray on purpose this week? In practical terms, where would it fit into your busy life? I want to give you some suggestions of where you might work prayer into your routine. And I think it's about timing, about place, and about opportunity. The first and simplest way to go about this is to pick a time to pray, right? Just like you pick a time to brush your teeth. Morning and night. Those are the classic two times that Christians have prayed prayed throughout the centuries is once in the morning and once at night. In fact, the early monks are the ones who invented timekeeping. The first mechanical clocks were in monasteries so that the monks could be regular in their prayers. They invented clocks because prayer was the most important thing in their day. They didn't invent clocks so they could make it to meetings on time. They didn't invent clocks so that they could punch in and out as they did their work. They didn't invent clocks so they'd know when to get on the road in order to beat the rush hour traffic. But they invented them to regulate their prayers, morning and night and actually seven times throughout the day they would stop to pray. So first. I would encourage you to set a time for prayer. But, but what about the other times that you might spontaneously be able to work prayer into your life? How about the in-between times? You know where you start to do one thing and then you're in between the next activity? 
The in-between times in our lives are usually the anxious times. When you find yourself waiting on hold, or waiting in line, or stuck in traffic. And have you noticed in the modern world that we tend to self-soothe at these in-between times? Those are the moments when we pull out a screen, right? And you can spend just a few minutes playing Candy Crush and beating level 279 or whichever one you're on. But what about this week? If you find yourself at one of those in-between times when you want to reach for a device, what if you thought to yourself, this could be a time for prayer? What if you offer God your thoughts when you're in line at the grocery store? What about when you get stuck on the South Bridge trying to get back from the West Shore, right? What about when you're on an exercise machine? I hate that thing, but it's a pretty good chance to pray. But I've noticed, at my gym at least, there's a screen, a big screen on the far wall showing ads. There's a, a little screen on my machine that I can pick the channel of. And then I usually have my cell phone out so I can stream something from YouTube with some earphones plugged in. So I've got three different screens going on. But what would it mean to turn those off for a minute? Because I think in our modern world, if we're going to make time for prayer, you and I are probably going to have to intentionally unplug in some way. Turn off the screen, silence the phone, take out the earbuds. In fact, we're getting ready for our week at Sky Lake uh, coming up later this summer, and we're sending out the letter to campers in the next week. And one of the big lines in there that's bolded says, please do not bring any electronics or cell phones or video game systems with you to camp. And every time we send out that letter, we get at least one phone call from a parent that says, are you sure little Johnny really needs to bring his device to camp? But we know that even in the Christian camping setting, it's hard to experience God without some quiet space. Another place I would encourage you to think about incorporating prayer in your life this week is during different physical routines. Do you know the old English word bead is the word for prayer? Prayer was so connected in the Middle Ages to the practice of praying the rosary, like our Catholic brothers and sisters do. Something physical to remind them of the order of the prayers and the words of the prayers. Something to hold and to do physically while they prayed. In Protestant circles today, probably the closest thing we have is a knitting of a prayer shawl, which can be a very prayerful act in and of itself. Well, when I was in college, I, I used to carry a, a prayer rock in my pocket. It was just a little smooth stone, and it had a, a cross etched into it that I could kind of feel with the top of my thumb. And whenever I'd reach in my pockets and jingle my keys, I'd feel the prayer rock there. And it was a physical reminder as I walked around campus to, to stick my hands in my pocket and to take some time for prayer. And I had that prayer rock in my pocket for almost a year until I was at summer camp and uh, was walking across the parking lot with a whole group of little kids. And about half the kids had already crossed from one side to the other, and we had split apart a little bit, which is not a very smart thing to do. And I was with the, the later group of kids, and a guy in a big Camaro 
came zooming through the parking lot, tromped on the gas, and went right between the front half of our group and the back half. Thank God he didn't hit any of my kids, but I pulled that prayer rock out of my pocket, and I was ready to launch that sucker at his back window. And I thought, maybe that's not the reason that's in my pocket, right? Well, you could stick a rock in your pocket this week if you want, but what about something else that you already carry around with you? And here's a few examples. What if you thought of your keys as a prayer object? What if every time you need to open a door or start a vehicle, you'd be reminded subtly to pray this week? Or how about something else in your life that you touch regularly? Doorknobs. This one will take more of a challenge than your keys because you probably touch more doorknobs in a day. But what if you prayed just a little prayer every time you touched a doorknob this week? Lord, let me see the doors that you are opening in my life today. As you cross the threshold of your house, as you go into your office, as you go about your day. There's one little prayer practice I've adopted uh, now that I live across the street from the firehouse. I notice that I hear a lot of sirens where I live, and I also am in the flight path for Lifeline an awful lot of the time as they're coming or going from the med center. So for me, the sound of sirens or the sound of a helicopter have become reminders for prayer, and I just stop wherever I am, and I've made it the habit to pray for first responders when I hear one of those two noises. What would it mean for us to pray on purpose this week. When you think about prayer and you read about prayer, you start to realize that we can't just show up to God with our our shopping list. Lord, here are all the things I'd like to have in my life. Check, check, check. Or as one of the ancient fathers put it, does God exist for us or do we exist for God? I've come to realize over the years that we really can't force God to do anything. We simply ask in prayer. And praying every day is not like a customer loyalty program either, right? You're not building up points each time you put in some minutes of prayer. You don't get your card stamped every time you pray until you have enough stamps to to get the freebie that you wanted. People say to me all the time as a pastor, Well, Pastor, I tried praying, and I asked God for something very specific, and I prayed with all my heart, and what I asked for never happened. I don't want to ask you to raise your hands, but have you ever had that experience, right? Where you thought, I I asked God for this thing, and it just didn't happen. Well, do you notice in the Bible, they don't always get what they want or what they ask for either. Just because we think we want it, just because we ask for it, just because we sincerely desire it with all of our hearts doesn't mean that it's what's best for us. There's a striking example of that that I came across this week, and that's when Jeremiah is praying out in the desert. He's had a a battle with the prophets of Baal, and he wanders out into the desert and he sits down under a broom tree, and he prays this prayer Lord, take my life. Make me dust like my ancestors. 
Jeremiah prayed that he wanted to die. And God answered that prayer, but God gave him a nap. God gave him a snack. God gave him a jar of water. And God sent him back out on a new mission. I don't think Jeremiah was complaining in the end that he didn't get what he asked for. But how will we change our prayers if we pray on purpose? Most of our lives are are self-centered, aren't they? Most of our thoughts each day are, are about ourselves. What do I need? What do I want? How do I look today? What am I going to eat for lunch after the preacher gets done talking up there? Right? Well, prayer is a practice that helps us correct that. Many different types of prayer correct our, our self-centeredness and help us to center on what God wants in the world. It can come through a prayer of surrender when we ask God, use me where you need me to be. When we pray to God and say, direct my path, we are surrendering our own will to God's will. It can come in the form of prayers of intercession, which we, we do here every Sunday, right? When we recognize the problems of others in our lives and in our world, and we pray for God's blessing and God's healing for them. We can get over our self-centeredness with prayers of thanksgiving. When we take the time to count our blessings and recognize God's gifts in our lives and take the time to pray and say thank you for those. Jesus warned in one of his parables about praying selfish prayers. He tells the story of a, a man who goes up on the hill to pray where everyone can see him. And he says, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that guy over there. Thank you, Lord, that I am holy. Thank you, Lord, that I say my prayers every day. Thank you, Lord, that I pay my tithe to the temple. But yet Jesus says it's the sinner standing far off in the distance who humbly approaches God, who's truly praying. One other question I often get about prayer is people come to me and say, Pastor, what does it sound like? When God speaks to you, is it handwriting on the wall? Well, it was once for Daniel, right? Is it a, a voice from the heavens and an opening in the clouds? Well, it was for Jesus at his baptism. Is it a, a burning bush with flames that don't consume? It was when God spoke to Moses. Is it a, an angelic messenger with big, fluffy, white wings? Well, it was for Mary and for Joseph, right? But I'm guessing that some of us here in this room have prayed our whole lives, have not come up against handwriting on the wall, voices coming down from heaven, angels with big, white, fluffy wings, or bushes that burn but are not consumed. So what is it really like for God to speak to us in prayer? And here's my answer. Have you ever been talking to a friend and yet you say to them, the thought 
just came to me, but what if? Now, a lot of times we think about our brains, our minds, our thoughts as completely under our control, right? I was thinking. But how often do you find a new insight or a revelation where you would describe it as the thought came to me? What if there's room in that for God to speak to us? What if in prayer there's room for God to shape our thoughts before we even think them? That would be subtle, but that would be powerful. Those times in prayer when you think about someone you hadn't already been thinking about, or time in prayer when you change your mind about something or someone, when you have a new insight about a problem that you couldn't figure out the solution for before, or that moment when you discover something new about yourself that you didn't already know. Well, I believe that all of these can be God's Spirit leading us if we are prayerfully and carefully seeking God out in our lives. As one author puts it, prayer is expressive and impressive. Prayer is a chance for us to give voice to our thoughts and our longings as we talk to God, but it's also impressive, the chance for God to shape our hearts and our minds. What would it look like if we pray on purpose this week? I want to give you one last image. Oh, we forgot the Robert Frost quote. That's okay. I'll throw it in another sermon another time. But what if prayer has its effect slowly over time? What if prayer is like a raindrop? If you're out in a, a dusty field somewhere and a single drop of rain falls, sure, it, it's water, it, it hits the dirt. It doesn't have much effect, though, does it? But what if that same drop is, is joined by others and over and over, raindrops continue to fall? You've seen that on a hot and dusty summer day, right? The, the dust tamps down the ground begins to, to swell up and receive the rain. And slowly, drop by drop, the ground becomes saturated. But what if you and I were to pray on purpose? Not just once, but over time. Like Jesus, may you and I pray on purpose. And like Jesus, may you and I live lives that are saturated with prayer. May God give us the gift of prayer this week. Amen.